Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome into episode 36 of the Five Reasons Podcast. Thank you for finding us. We are on iTunes, also on Google Play. If you have Android, you can find us on Stitcher, CastBox, and several other platforms. Also, follow us at Five Reasons Sports. That's five, the number five, Five Reasons Sports. Lots of updates there. And at the end of the pod, we're going to give you some information on a new way to consume us. Again, I'm Ethan Skolnick here with Chris Whittingham, as always. Now, we recorded a Miami Heat-related pod Earlier this week with Ira Winderman looking at their most important players. Now we're going to sort of pull back a little bit and look at the entire NBA with someone who has his own successful podcast. You can find that also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all those platforms. It's called The Full 48. He interviews some of the biggest newsmakers in the NBA from Adam Silver all the way down. He's my former colleague at Bleacher Report. He's still at Bleacher Report. You can follow him at Howard Beck, and we used to do a little radio show together, too, back in the day on Bleacher Report Radio. I know Howard remembers that fondly as we were trying to find a studio in Las Vegas somewhere to record LeBron. (laughs) (laughs) This feels like old times, minus the searching for studios. We're going to start here, Howard, with the player that we feel has the most on the line in the upcoming playoffs. And again, we're taping this on a Monday, so some of the seating is not totally set at this point. But I think we can speak to some of these players And so we're going to go through this list a little bit and see who we identify. I'm going to start with you, Howard, and actually bring it back around. Who do you think has the most on the line as the playoffs start? Well, as you know, Ethan, from our time together at Bleacher Report, the answer to the question of most on the line every single time, every year, every context, it's always LeBron. So I'm going to skip past him for the moment because that's just a given. There's always legacy issues and future and where he lands and blah, blah, blah. We know. We can come back to LeBron. I'm also kind of like putting a little like dog earing the page on Russell Westbrook because I think there's something there, but I think we can come back to that in in, in a later item today. I'm going to focus on Chris Paul. Chris Paul, we know he's going to the Hall of Fame. We know he's one of the greatest point guards of all time, the point god. He's paired up with James Harden. They will both be Hall of Famers at some point, but Chris Paul sooner than James Harden because Chris Paul's older. He's turning 33 next month. This is, I believe, his 13th season. He's never been to a conference finals. He hasn't won a playoff series since 2015. That was the year that they won a a tough game seven against the Spurs, and then they lose to Houston in another seven-game series. And, you know, prior to that, it, it was first round outs for Chris Paul. So we know that legacies and reputations are built in the playoffs. Chris Paul is a long storied career, and we will never say otherwise. But for he and James Harden both, but Chris Moore because he's older, he's got to get a, a deep playoff run here. I mean, I had this discussion with him a couple years ago. If he makes the conference finals and loses, he knows and he says this. You guys are just going to say, well, then I didn't make it out of the conference finals and I still didn't make the finals. It's true. The critiques of his career will, will not go away just by making the conference finals. But they actually have a shot at the finals, especially if we don't if there's not a, a healthy Steph Curry staring across at them in the conference finals. So I think Chris Paul, for resume reasons, legacy reasons— and the fact that he is 33 and you just don't know 
how much longer he can do it at an elite level. It's only year one with Houston and this partnership with Harden, but we don't know how many years that they'll really have together with, with Chris Paul still playing at an elite level. So I think Chris Paul's got the most on the line. And it, it's always funny that when athletes give voice to the idea that the math is always in the critics' favor, that we can just always keep pushing the bar <laughs> until they win the championship, and then we have to find someone else to give the bar to. So it kind of we, we went from LeBron. I think, is Paul now the player in the NBA that now has the most kind of narrative against him? Because I feel like just based off of LeBron having won, the Warriors having won, there really isn't anyone who faces that kind of narrative pressure more than Chris Paul, I would say. Yeah, it's a great point. Although the other member of the Banana Boat crew that is ringless, Carmelo Anthony, he had that for a long time. And I think the only reason people aren't squarely focused on it now is because it feels like he's, I hate to say it, kind of an afterthought. Now that he is the third wheel in Oklahoma instead of number one in New York. Like if Carmelo Anthony had stuck with the Knicks, if they had not traded him and it was him and Porzingis and this you know usual ragtag group in New York – and they had missed the playoffs again, or they were going into the playoffs, we would all be talking about, oh man, Carmelo's got a lot on the line right now. You know, this is, you know, he's getting up there. He's 33. He's going to turn 34 soon. His window's closing rapidly. And as, as again, one of the all-time great scorers, and as a member of that, that Banana Boat crew and that 2003 draft and all the other things that make him feel like a really big, important player who hasn't achieved what you thought his career might achieve, Carmelo has long been in that category. But I feel like with him having slipped to almost elder statesman afterthought in Oklahoma, he's evading that particular narrative right now. So yeah, I think it's pretty much, I'm like, I'm scrolling down through the stands. I think it's just Chris Paul right now. I say Paul or Harden at this point, given the the failures sure. he's had. I want to get to my guy. The player that I actually think has an amount of pressure on him is Steph Curry. Because mm. I think LeBron James, you, you mentioned it, Howard, LeBron James has taken on the brunt of the you need to be doing things in the playoffs sort of pressure for eight, nine years now. And I think that pressure has to be transferred to the Golden State Warriors. If they're the inevitable champion every year because of how good they are as a team, then they're the ones that need to be facing the pressure of you have to do this. They have to win the championship just based off of the team they have. And I think because they they were a bit more likable out of the box, now I don't think they're as likable just by virtue of them having dominated the league and no one ever gets to really stay likable for that long. But to me, the reason why I say Curry is because if his injury or another Steph Curry injury derails a Golden State title run, whether it's because he doesn't play or it's whether he isn't good when he plays, I think that Golden State has to face this narrative pressure of needing to win the championship. And if Steph Curry would basically have cost the Golden State Warriors four consecutive championships by virtue of his injury, I really do think a summer offseason storyline, a major one can be, well, hang on a second, is the Warriors' plan to go and dominate the league for eight, nine years built on a shaky foundation, and that being the body of Steph Curry? It was always a, a, a huge concern when he signed that extension. Now, that extension ended up becoming one of the most valuable contracts in league history, but I don't know if Steph Curry on $40 million a season on average is going to be that same kind of value if he can't stay healthy. Steph Curry has to be healthy, and he has to help the Golden State Warriors to a championship. And I know this is... It's not necessarily the most obvious thing to do, but I think with Golden State, there has to be that pressure on them to win the championship. They're the best team in the league. They're better than Houston. They're better than, than anybody in the East. They need to win the championship, and Steph Curry needs to be a major reason why. 
let me jump in on both of your guys here a little bit because I think they're both interesting choices. Um, the Chris Paul one, it's funny because we had this debate when we had Tim Bontemps on. Howard, you might be familiar with Tim's thoughts on Chris Paul, that he feels that Chris Paul skates, actually, in this debate. Hmm. That he doesn't, he doesn't get the type of criticism that he should considering how far he hasn't gotten in the playoffs. And, you know, we looked at the numbers, and what, what's interesting about the numbers with Chris Paul is his numbers are actually better in the playoffs than they are in the regular season. If you just look at his PER is roughly the same, but all of the other numbers, uh, shooting percentage, points, assists, they go up in the playoffs, and he's had some good moments in the playoffs. He's also had some really bad ones, and, and the, the Utah game in Game 7 last year was another one of those. The thing about both of your choices is I, I think that in both cases – that the blame could be shifted to the other player they play with. For instance, with the Chris Paul one, you know, I was originally going to go with James Harden because if you look at James Harden's playoff resume here, it's not great. You know, I mean, he averaged 28 in the playoffs last season, but everybody remembers sort of falling apart at the end. He shot only 28% from three in the postseason last year. All of his numbers, his points per game, his, his percentages go down in the playoffs. And of course, early in his career in the finals, he had a terrible series against the Heat. So I think a lot of pressure would go there. And the other one with Curry, and I agree with you, Chris, about you know the idea of his health. But look, if Curry's not 100%, the reason they got Kevin Durant was to protect themselves. If Curry's not 100%, they still have another superstar they can go to. And if Durant can't carry them, then I think that's going to be a knock on his record and sort of this issue that, well, Durant had to join up with another star to get over the hump. And then when that other star or you know the, the other best player on that particular team is not fully himself, Durant can't do it. I think a lot of that would fall on Durant. So I'm going to go to the default option here because, as you said at the beginning, Howard, it's always LeBron. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you could make a case for Harden or Durant, but look, if they don't get to the finals because of the way uh, – start here – the way that Boston has fallen apart health-wise, the fact that nobody – I know uh, Chris wanted to touch on Toronto a little bit here – the way that nobody really trusts Toronto, even at this stage, yeah. if they don't get to the finals, considering that LeBron always gets to the finals – there's going to be a lot of garbage that's thrown his way. And again, the focus is going to be on him because of where he goes next season. And you may end up in a situation where it looks like he's bailing again, the way he bailed when they didn't win in 2010 uh, with Cleveland and they didn't win in 2014 with the Heat. So we always talk about all these other players, and I, I think I can make a really compelling case for Harden, but it always falls back on LeBron Howard. So I, I think it would again. Yeah, and as I said from from the top, that was kind of why I, I kind of qualified, caveated him and threw him off to the side like we can say it's LeBron every year because it is. Every year that that he either wins a championship or doesn't win a championship, whatever it is, it's always going to be, well, how does this strengthen his case for greatest of all time, hurt his case for greatest of all time, strengthen the case to stay in Cleveland, strengthen the case to leave Cleveland? I mean – so we know, like that, that's always going to be there. The Harden versus Chris Paul thing is interesting, and and I don't disagree there, Chris. Like Harden has, you know, he's going to win MVP. That's almost a certainty, and he's been a, a near miss a couple times for it. And so we're going to think of him soon as one of those all-time greats who doesn't win when he needs to if he gags in this postseason. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think part of the the whole purpose of getting Chris Paul was you've got another guy who's going to carry so much of the load during the regular season and playoffs that Harden won't get burned out the way they felt that he did. Last year, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that that's true. He needs to have a breakthrough moment or at least go down swinging. He at least needs to go down having put up monster numbers and, gee, the Warriors were just better. 
And Steph Curry's interesting too. Like the Warrior thing, I mean, it's it's true. When you put when you have that kind of firepower, and we're talking about them being historically great, you know, just two championships in three years, which every other franchise would kill for for the most part, will feel hollow, especially since the Durant edition, if it if it doesn't end with more more championships. And and yeah, Curry's health. I mean, that's that's been a an ongoing theme of, of his career. I guess I'm, I'm not as focused on them because I just kind of take it as a given. He'll be good enough that they'll get back. But the Rockets are pretty damn good. I actually, I, I want to make the LeBron point on sort of the reverse. I, I don't think that necessarily the pressure is on him. Because it, and now I have to sort of, clarify that as I think the take artists will come after him but I think that sure that the, the people who've actually been watching the league this season and have seen the decrease in quality in his teammates obviously Kyrie Irving leaves now we can relitigate that Kyrie Irving trade and examine LeBron's role in his departure but LeBron doesn't really have a superstar teammate I mean Kevin Love is a really good player and maybe a star player but I wouldn't say superstar teammate we saw the regular season struggles throughout the year. I would say if he does get to the finals and even understanding that he took a really injured and broken and not star-laden team to the finals in 2015, but I think that with everything that's happened in Cleveland this season, if they went out in the conference finals, I'm not saying it's ever going to be a soft landing spot for LeBron to go out of the playoffs, but with them being 29th in the league in defense, with them having this calamitous season, their coach leaves in the middle of it, make these massive overhaul moves in the middle of it. I think that given the the, the lack of quality in his team, if he went out in the conference finals to Toronto, there will still be the take artist, but I don't think he would get skewered in the way that he would have in years previous. Yeah, I think that's possible in that sense because, again, if look, if we see some of their role guys that we have not seen in these kind of situations before, you know, guys like Nance or Hood or some of the other players are being relied upon for this team, even a Jeff Green, not play well in the playoffs, then a lot of the blame is going to go to Gilbert in the front office. So you're right about that. But, I, again, the take artists – tend to have the loudest voices, right? So, so when, when, Only if you when, let them, Ethan. Only if you let well, them. Well, only if you let them. I don't want to mention the names here on the pod, but you know who they are. And, and they're going to – I mean, one of them the other night, LeBron had 44-11-11, and 11, but happened to miss one of three free throws at the end of that game. We're still doing and, that, are we? And, and that guy was out of the woodwork saying he's not clutch. So, I, you know, those people are, are going to do it again, and, and, you know, people are going to pay attention to them because they tend to, even if they're not on the same platform that they were before. All right, let's move on to number two here on the pod. We're going through some of the biggest playoff storylines, but particularly focused around the players and what they have at stake. And I'm going to start this one. Um, you always look for a guy in the playoffs who goes from star where sort of the, the hardcore basketball fan knows how good they are to superstar where that player then is sort of part of the national lexicon, even for people who are not huge NBA fans. And to me, the guy I, I come to here is Damian Lillard with Portland. And the reason for that is I think that he's been, in a lot of situations, overlooked. He's always the guy who, is he going to make the All-Star team or isn't he going to make the All-Star team? Is he going to be a guy who finishes in the top five of MVP? And the season that he's had this year, where not only has Dame time become a, th a thing again where, with his play in the last few minutes of games, but taking a team along with CJ McCollum, that looked a little bit listless early in the season, some questionable free agent moves that they've made over the past couple of years, and elevating them where they ended up in the three spot, where I don't think, if you said before the season, what are the chances of Portland ending third? Considering the additions that Oklahoma City had made, considering what you thought San Antonio was going to be 
with Kawhi, even, you know, with the Cousins, when you thought Cousins was going to be with Davis for the entire season in New Orleans, or even Minnesota with Butler coming in, the idea that Portland would be in the three seed has so much to do with the way that Damian Lillard played. And again, if you look at their projected path here, we don't know what their matchup's going to be in the first round as we tape this, but it looks like they could be set up to play Golden State in the second round. And whether Curry is healthy or not, if Lillard outplays Curry in any significant way, that could be the kind of series that elevates him from a player who, again, basketball fans understand how good he is, but sort of the general public starts to think of Damian Lillard clearly as a top five, top ten guy in the league. So that would be more my choice. Howard, your thoughts on that, and do you have someone else? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Ethan. I, I, had, I have two primary answers on this question. One of them is Damian Lillard. That would be the player that I actually defaulted to eventually – but that was after I got past my first take, which was none. None because, to your point about Lillard, okay, so let's say that they, they hold on in, in the third seed and they're going to play, we don't know, in the first round. It's, it could be San Antonio, it could be Oklahoma. Let's say that they at least get to the second round and now they're playing the Warriors. They may get smoked. Lillard might have a huge series, but they might still go down swinging. Now maybe he still makes that leap because they get to a game seven against the Warriors and Lillard hits some big shots along the way and it might still elevate him. But I keep thinking, he's been to the second round a couple times, twice. And if he just falls back again, and to lose to the Warriors again, who they lost to the last two years in a row, by the way, then it's going to feel like that blunts a little bit of, of Lillard's coming out party. And so then, beyond that, I put him to the side, I look at everybody else. We got a bunch of guys, like, Anthony Davis is probably losing in the first round, assuming the Pelicans make it. Carl Anthony Towns would be a great candidate for this. But Minnesota hasn't even locked down their playoff spot yet as we tape this. If the Nuggets sneak in, Nikola Jokic would be would be a, a really interesting possibility here, but they're not in yet. And then we've got a bunch of teams in the East where, like, Wall and Beal are getting knocked out in the first round. Giannis is getting knocked out in the first round, most likely. And so we just don't have a lot of great candidates unless we then turn to Philadelphia, where I guess it just depends on, on how you feel about Embiid and Simmons and what their profile is right now. If you think that they already are, you know, have stardom etched into them, then it's not a big leap. But I actually do think that 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 they might be the most fun possible answer in this in this category because Embiid did not win rookie of the year last year because of his 31 games. Simmons probably will win rookie of the year. We won't know it until June under these crazy new NBA rules. But in the meantime the Sixers, hey, they're already a 50-win team. They might make a run. And those two guys are going to be, if they're not already household names, very well could be soon. Yeah, I think I think Embiid is the answer here because Philadelphia right now, where they're at as a three seed, and obviously they have to win out and they have a decent chance to do so. They play Milwaukee on the final day. But if Philadelphia wins out and they're the three seed, they basically have the path cleared out for them to win a round one series against either Miami or Milwaukee and then go on to face the winner of Boston and then the other of Miami and Milwaukee in round two. And that's what Brett Brown was giving voice to the other day. He's like, I like the path. And I think the path for them is getting to the conference finals. If Joel Embiid leads the Philadelphia 76ers to the conference finals in their first run in the playoffs, I do think there is a significant increase in profile for the Philadelphia 76ers and for him specifically because he will have been a massive part in them getting there. So I think they're sort of the next team to enter into the major stratosphere of where they're going to have to be in any conversation you have about the NBA title or about the Eastern Conference at the very least, particularly 
particularly ahead of what they do in this upcoming free agency with a max salary slot. So I think that Philly is the team that has breakout potential and Embiid has breakout potential. I I want to roll back to something you said, Howard, about Anthony Davis, though. Because if New Orleans plays Utah in round one and Anthony Davis starts turning in some of the stat lines we saw earlier this season, the 40-17 and five assists with four blocks and they somehow sneak out a round one victory for the first time since he's been in New Orleans, I do think that there's sort of that little bit of an increase of having done it in the playoffs. Now, everyone already knows that Anthony Davis is an incredible player, but I feel like playing in New Orleans for a team that hasn't had much team success, there is another level of of legitimacy for him to get to, particularly doing it without Boogie Cousins. Yeah, no question. And I feel like what Davis has done since Cousins went down has simply solidified the fact that this guy truly is a superstar in this league, a top 10 player, if people didn't see it before. And look, there were reasonable doubts, partially because of an injury history, partially because his surroundings in terms of that that supporting cast weren't good enough for us to really see the best of Anthony Davis. And as we know, playoff reputations, you know, where reputations are made in the playoffs in this league. And so that he now looks like kind of a solo act, which, by the way, not entirely like Drew Holiday has been really, really good this year and it gets overlooked a lot. But it's certainly true that the rest of that supporting cast is pretty lackluster. Rondo has found a, a, a second or third or eighth life or whatever it is there. But it's not, it's not a group that you look at on paper and say, like, this is a great playoff team. And again, as we're recording, they've still got a shot to get to 48 wins, which would be uh, pretty nice, all things considered, for them. So yeah, maybe they knock somebody out in the first round. I wouldn't bet on it, but because I think that, you know, first of all, especially if they're going against the Jazz, if it's the 4-5 or five and you've got Rudy Gobert to fluster Anthony Davis and you can send help and they've got Derek Favors there to also guard him and then you're going to have to push the Pelicans to rely more on the supporting cast and their shooting I just don't think that there's enough there but yeah Anthony Davis might just do it by himself and so uh, yeah I think he's a great candidate I take a look at a couple of other guys here. You mentioned Giannis, and we can argue whether Giannis is already a superstar. He's certainly on the verge of it. But they might have a path. Again, as we tape this, they may end up in seven. And so if they end up in seven, then they very well could win a series because I think Milwaukee can beat Boston in the state that Boston's in right now. Now, that second-round series, then they'd be looking at Philadelphia. You're assuming Embiid's health's going to be fine. I I would think so with this particular situation that he's got. But again, that's an inexperienced team in Philadelphia, and Giannis could have another of those series where he just elevates himself, you know, with near triple doubles and scoring 35 points and all that. And so, you know, again, he's already sort of on the brink. I mean, when you have a 60 Minutes interview, when you have a sit-down on 60 Minutes, you're pretty close to superstar at that point. But I think he could get there. The other guy that's interesting, but I think their seeding is going to hurt them, is Oladipo, where he's had this breakout season already this year. And if he could do it on a playoff stage, it kind of validates that. But again, right now, you know, if they're in the five, which appears they're going to stay there and they're looking at a series potentially against Cleveland, I don't know that Indiana has much of a chance against LeBron's team in the first round. And so it might get obscured there a little bit. But those would be two other names that I would look at. All right, let's transition now to number three here. And we're going to take it a little bit younger than kind of the star to superstar conversion and just look at the young player that we think could make an impact and kind of break out where... Can we just call this the Donovan Mitchell section? We could. We could. Now, now at this point, they have clinched the playoffs. So Utah has made the playoffs. We don't know where they're going to finish. But as we speak right now, they're in the four seed. All right. So is everybody going with Donovan Mitchell on, on this one? Or, do, or does someone else have another suggestion? Well, I actually do. I love Donovan Mitchell. And I think that he's a very strong candidate there. 
I think the only reason I didn't go with him is, is that the West is so brutal that I don't know how long we'll get to see him. I went with the guy you were just mentioning, Ethan, which is Victor Ola. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Depot, a guy who he's already gone through the entire roller coaster of public perception from high lottery pick with a lot of promise down in Orlando to post hype. He's, uh, you know, just a guy thrown into a deal for Sergi Baca, gets traded to Oklahoma to, you know, uh, unspectacular Westbrook sidekick. By the time he gets to Indiana, of course, we've all decided, eh, you know, we don't even know why they're trading Paul George for this guy. Constitute as a salary dump. Yeah. Basically, a salary dump and a, well, maybe, maybe there's still something there or he'll be all right. You know, like it's an overpay, but at least he's a solid role guy. And he turned into an all-star basically overnight. And it's been phenomenal. And beyond that, here's one of the reasons why when we say like a young player who's going who's gonna to capture people's attention, Oladipo has this brightness about him. And actually Donovan Mitchell does too, by the way. Just in personality, when you watch these guys on the court, it's not just that they're putting up numbers. It's not just the athleticism and some of the artistry with their games. It's that in the case of both these guys, they have fun doing it. Like, there are guys who are hard to gravitate toward. Like, James Harden puts up monster numbers. He's amazing. It never seems like he's having that much fun out there. You know, it's not a lot of smiling. Maybe just the beard covers up all of his emotion. But Donovan Mitchell and Victor Oladipo both have this kind of brightness of, of personality out there. And I think that, that it's, it's a magnetism. And I think that that matters when you talk about a guy who's going to break out and, and just really capture people's imaginations. And it's funny, Dame Lillard is being talked about as a guy who should be on MVP ballots somewhere. Victor Oladipo's numbers are incredibly comparable across the board to Dame Lillard's. And, and the only reason Oladipo's not getting more shine for that is because Lillard has the established rep a little bit, and, and no one's paying attention to Indiana, which they, they probably should be. I don't know how long they're going to last in the playoffs either, but things are much more fluid in the East. You know, a lot fewer established teams. 
a lot of uncertainty, so you never know. But I'm I'm going to go with Oladipo on this one. I'm going to go with Donovan Mitchell, obviously, since I call the Donovan Mitchell section. If you look at so <laughs> at, at the at the point in the season in which the Utah Jazz were 19 and 28, January second, uh, January 22nd, I should say, they were 19 and 28. They had just lost to the Atlanta Hawks. They then you know go on this incredible winning streak. Since then, they're 28 and five. They're the best team in the league over basically a third of the season, and in that period. Donovan Mitchell has almost single-handedly carried them to where they are uh, from an offensive point of view. Obviously, Rudy Gobert can be the defensive player of the year, and in that period, Utah has been incredible defensively. Five points per 100 possessions better than the next best team in the league, Philly. So defensively is how they get this done, but they don't get to where they are without Donovan Mitchell. And if Utah, who would have gone from out of the playoffs to climbing above all these teams, seven, eight teams to get to the four seed, if Utah can culminate this with a playoff series victory, recovering in the year after they lost Gordon Hayward, which I thought would be a franchise crippling blow, I didn't think they had a chance to make the playoffs this year. And for this rookie to complete that transformation, all they need to do for me is to win one playoff series. Right now, as we tape, that playoff series would have to be against New Orleans. Now, as much as that's going to be the NBA TV playoff series, I do think that if he can get this job done, it's just the signal of an incredible turnaround for an incredible player. There's a couple of other names, though, I wanted to mention because I I think there's a chance for a couple other guys to step out. If Boston is going to do anything in the postseason, it's going to be because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum play big. So without Kyrie Irving, if they have any chance to win a series, I mean, people will credit Brad Stevens because they always do, and he deserves a lot of it. But Brown and Tatum are going to have to be great. And so there's an opportunity for one or both guys to kind of step to the forefront. And also, I I look at San Antonio, which I'm still amazed. I don't know how you feel about this, guys, but the fact that they're even – I know they're not winning 50 games this year, but the fact that with that roster, they're even close to 50 wins without Kawhi to me is incredible. And the one young player on that team who has shown big-time flashes this year – and could in the postseason is DeJounte Murray. And so I think there's an opportunity for them. If if the Spurs challenge somebody in the first round, I think he's going to get a lot more publicity than maybe he got during the season. Is there anybody else who kind of jumps out to you guys as maybe a dark horse? I'd say Ben Simmons as well. Philly team winning 50 games, finally healthy, and now him carrying on as well without Embiid. I think, again, a conference finals run is not out of the realm of possibilities, and if that's on the cards, then you'd have to say that Ben Simmons would be a massive reason why. By the way, I was just kind of looking at basketball reference see who kind of the best rookies have been in the postseason, and it probably Donovan Mitchell, if they win around, if they win around one series, or even if Ben Simmons does a lot of damage, probably the best rookie to do so since uh, Derrick Rose in 2009 with the Chicago Bulls. They went seven with the Boston Celtics, and in their in that series, Rose had a 36 point game in an overtime victory. So, I mean, it's it's pretty you know rare company to be have massive impacts in these playoff games as a rookie. Right, let's move on to number four. Take more of a team focus. On this, well, we wanted to look at Howard. Was which team has its blueprint on the line? Its organizational blueprint, the direction that the franchise is going, and a lot of different options for this one. I'm going to let Chris start on this one. Who who do you think has the most on the line from just an order organizational direction and philosophy? I'm actually going to go a bit off the board here in terms of the championship teams because again, Cleveland is always is can always be the answer here because. LeBron James leaving would be devastating, and they're right back to where they were in 2014. So they're going to have to at least put together a competitive showing. But outside of that, Golden State's going to look pretty well the same. 
Houston, I think even if they got to the conference finals and lost, would try and go again, would try and find another superstar. I don't think they're that dramatically changing. To me, the answer here is Oklahoma City. And now, at time of recording, we don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. But Oklahoma City gave up a fair bit, right? And I know that the supporting cast for Westbrook was always criticized, but it's gotten even worse in the aftermath of the Paul George and the Carmelo Anthony trades, just basically giving away the nucleus of your team, the young players that you had gotten under contract. And now there's a real possibility that all you're left with is Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony on on a sort of one year left on his contract. That's a pretty precarious situation to be in. Now, the good news is, is that they have Russell Westbrook under contract for the long term. But I just think that Oklahoma City, given what they did in the offseason to try and compete at the highest level of the Western Conference, if they go out with a whimper in round one and all they have left to show for it is Russell Westbrook and one year left of Carmelo Anthony, that's a blueprint that I don't know where that's going. Yeah, when we sat down or when you guys you know sent over, here's the kind of things we'll go through. This is why I bookmarked player with most on the line, Russ. I said, we'll just come back to that because team blueprint on the line, the Thunder, to me, it's them a thousand times over. That Cleveland, yes, is always in this discussion. I can make a case that Toronto, actually, given Lowry's age and a window that may not be open very much longer there because Boston is getting better, Philly is getting better, but it's Oklahoma. It's Oklahoma a thousand times over because, yeah, Westbrook, reigning MVP, he is not even in the MVP discussion this year, which is another weird thing that's for another topic for another day. He's still putting up triple doubles. He may average a triple double when all is said and done, but they're going to have this virtually the same win total as a year ago with the supporting cast that supposedly was crap. And now he's got Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, and he's going to win the same number of games, finish in the lower half of the playoff bracket if they make it, and probably a first round out again. And yeah, I don't care how many times Paul George says, we've got a great thing here. I'm enjoying playing with Russ. We've got this great relationship. I don't care how many times Paul George says LA's not a given. I don't care how many times Paul George says what happens in the playoffs are not going to have an impact. That's not going to be the, what decides it for me about where I go. BS. That's absolutely going to decide where he goes. The whole reason he's in Oklahoma, we got to remember this. He didn't choose to go to Oklahoma. The reason he's in Oklahoma is because he wanted to be in LA. And so the Pacers, rather than losing for nothing, traded him a year early to Oklahoma, a place that Paul George never would have gone on his own. So he's not there by choice. They've had an okay season. If the point of the exercise of wanting to leave Indiana and telling the Pacers I'm going to leave was, one, I'd like to be closer to home in Southern California, and two, probably because he didn't like, and he didn't like, a lot of the moves the Pacers had made, and he wanted to be back on a contender— Well, if the Thunder aren't a contender with Russell Westbrook, a reigning MVP, and Carmelo Anthony, a multiple-time All-Star, then what is Paul George hanging around for? So I think missing the playoffs or a first round out have to be hugely persuasive and potentially pushing him right out the door. And yeah, then what do you have left? Russell Westbrook on a massive contract, by the way, playing a style or a, a personal style that is not necessarily sustainable like when he loses his, he's still a, a below average shooter when his athleticism goes when that explosiveness goes and it does for everybody eventually he's not going to be a very effective player and so you're on borrowed time to an extent given how many years he's already got under his belt and the breakneck 100 percent all the time style which everybody loves but it's also a style that will you know run you into the ground potentially prematurely and yeah carmelo Listen, I've made the case, it sounds even more ludicrous now than it did when I made it earlier in the season, I've made the case that maybe Carmelo would would leave. Now, I know, leaving $28 million on the table is a very un-Carmelo thing to do, but if he's down to, like, he's turning 34 next month, if Carmelo doesn't have any chance of winning a title, 
and has been a number two or three option, three right now, two if Paul George leaves. I don't know. Does, does he want to hang out in Oklahoma for another year? I mean, that's a very un-Carmelo thing, too. And I, I know he's not. it's a ton to leave on the table. But if Carmelo could get some team to give him a two- or three-year deal at a slightly inflated number that maybe gets him back to the 28 or a little shy, I could see Carmelo wanting to leave, too. I can't possibly imagine that he's happy being in Oklahoma as a third option and spending the, 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 the waning years of his career there. It just, it doesn't, doesn't wash to me. And so then, then you're really in trouble. And then, then it's how much longer before Russell Westbrook is asking for a trade himself. Yeah. I think the answer to these, uh, this question is, is twofold. And I think you guys covered both teams. I, I think it's Oklahoma city or it's Cleveland and Cleveland for the, again, the obvious reason that if they don't win a championship or maybe even if they do that LeBron is out the door. And so uh, clearly that hangs over them as they go into the postseason and their entire blueprint of, of kind of going for it this year. I know that they didn't really strap themselves to any really bad contracts. Um, George Hills, uh, you know, got a little time left on his, but they didn't, they didn't sort of put themselves in a terrible position there. And they added a little bit of youth where they can decide what they want to do with Rodney hood going forward. But, but they did, instead of just blowing it up in a sense where they just got completely younger without any long-term deals on there, they, they did add, a little bit there to try to give LeBron a chance. So clearly Cleveland's in the conversation. I would say Oklahoma City, though, is first. But I think other teams do have uh, the blueprint on the line to some degree. You mentioned Toronto. Uh, clearly, you know, Masai's done a great job in terms of refreshing that team with the bench and getting younger there. But, you know, the DeRozan-Lowry partnership, there's going to be, you know, further questions about that. But also with a couple of other teams, there's questions about fit, like, if you're Minnesota, and again, we don't know if the Wolves are going to make the playoffs, and likely if they do, they'll probably be the eighth seed and get washed out quickly. But there's the question of long term, you know, do Wiggins and Butler, does that work together? And I think you're going to get a little bit of a sense of that in the playoffs. And, and I look at Milwaukee also because they've got a decision to make on Jabari Parker. And I don't sure. know if they've made it already, but a question there on, you know, is he really the right wingman for Giannis? And, and so I think there are teams that are going to find out a lot about fit when they get to the postseason. I think Philadelphia has had its process validated, but I think a lot of these other teams, there is going to be a question. Let's get to number five here. We're going to go rapid fire with some of these. We did not plan these in advance. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here with some of these questions. What coach, Chris, do you think has the most on the line in the postseason? I'm going to go ahead and say Dwayne Casey, because I think that we've seen Toronto really make that jump this year from a stylistic point of view. On a previous pod, we went through the way that their assist numbers have changed, and for the better. I think it's been brilliant what they've been able to do in terms of really getting their style to change in a real way. But there is still that question of adjustments within a game, adjustments within a series, and can Dwayne Casey really get the job done in a playoff series going up against a team? Maybe if they go up against you know Washington, where they're going against Wall and Beal, how do they adjust to that? And I just think that in the Eastern Conference, as much as Cleveland is always a major talking point, I'm more interested in Toronto and if they can finally get this done as a team that has the record that's the best in the conference, actually made real changes. So I'm going to say Dwayne Casey. Yeah, I I jotted down three guys and they're all in the East. And Casey is, is one of them. Ty Lue is an obvious candidate. Scott Brooks is the other one. You know, I'm not sure that Scott Brooks should be blamed for whatever ails the Wizards. They're just kind of weird. And I think they might have some just simple personality and ego issues. And there's been a ton of talk in recent days, including by Marcin Gortat, about selfishness in that locker room. And that's a hard thing for any coach to, to just rein in on their own. There's a certain amount of that that's just owned by the players. But 
listen, you know, they've got an all-star backcourt and some good young pieces. And they're, every year it's like, is this the, the Washington Wizards breakthrough year? And every year it's not. And that eventually cost Randy Whitman his job. And, you know, Brooks has not been there long enough for, I, I think, anybody to put this on him. And they kind of just are who they are to an extent. But that doesn't matter. We all know this. It, it, it doesn't matter what's logical or what's fair. Coaches eventually take the fall. And the fact that the Wizards are going into these playoffs likely as the eighth seed as we record, but you know maybe there's still some room for them to jump up a, a spot or two, doesn't bode well. And so he definitely is, is one who's going to take some heat. He already takes heat because you know, some folks, you know, people and Wizards fans and others around the league aren't sure about Brooks in terms of his creativity with the offense anyway. But Casey also for sure, he was perpetually on the line, it seemed like, his first few years once Masai Ujiri got there. And yeah, it's kind of now or never for that team. And, and yeah, Ty Lue, if they lose, if LeBron leaves, you know, everything's getting blown up. All right, let's get to the final one here with you guys. And this is the team that is not in the playoffs this season that you think will be in the playoffs next season. And I'm going to throw out, uh, let's take Denver out of the equation, guys, because I we don't know as we tape this whether they're going to make it. So let's assume, you know, it can't happen, but both Minnesota and Denver are going to make the postseason. So let's look at the other teams, and and here's the list. Clippers, Lakers, Kings, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Suns, Pistons, Hornets, Nets, Knicks, Bulls, Magic, Hawks. Howard, which of of those teams makes the playoffs next season? Wow. Could I just shoot myself instead? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, this is really tough. I'm going to be a, uh, a local hater and say it's not either of the teams in my backyard here in New York. And some of these teams are so awful that there's just there's just no chance in the world. The Lakers are a tempting choice because their youth seems to be blossoming and there's a chance that they somehow land Paul George and LeBron James this summer. <laughs> but if I'm going to go just on who's on the roster right now, I'm going to go with the Bulls, actually. Chris Dunn was really, really good before he got hurt a couple months ago. And showed tremendous promise. We know that Zach Levine is a player. We know that Lowry Markkinen had a, a really, really good rookie season. You know, do, do they do they hold on to Robin Lopez and some of their vets? Who knows? But the Bulls actually have a foundation that, with an off season and guys, you know, coming back with with better defined roles, a little growth, a little good fortune, good health, and in the ever forgiving Eastern Conference, where you just never know, I think the Bulls have a shot. How about that? For me, I, I think you have to start to look at who are the teams that are going to drop out. So, to me, in the East, I think uh, it's hard to say after they, you know, they're 15 games over 500. But Indiana, you'd feel like is a team that at some point the floor is going to fall off from underneath them. And the teams in the Eastern Conference, probably only Miami would be somebody for me that I think could fall out just because. The Tyler Johnson contract kicks in. They're probably going to have to let Wayne Ellington go if they want to stay under the luxury tax. So, And, and they don't have a first-round pick, so I don't know where their improvement comes from. So maybe in the East there's one playoff spot, maybe two available. In the West, I would say, man, unless San Antonio trades Kawhi Leonard. But, but if they trade Kawhi Leonard, then you'd imagine they get a massive haul in return and you know Pop can just wave his magic wand and be back to 50 wins again. I just don't see the opportunity in too many places. If there was to me a team in the East, I would actually go to the team in your backyard and you're always going to be reluctant to trust them. The New York Knickerbockers have Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and I think that you know maybe there's a chance that they can add some players or they can get a bit healthier, end up with a decent draft pick here. So 
I, I would say that the Knicks are the teams in the East that didn't make it. Maybe Detroit because they're the closest. But actually, the Knicks in, uh, among the teams in the East would be the closest to it. Howard, I'm going to let you respond to that before I go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to rebut. Um, one, you can never, ever, ever have too much faith in, in the Knicks because they're they're the Knicks and they find ways to screw these things up. Porzingis is phenomenal, but you know, look, it's an ACL and that's a that's a one year minimum recovery. And even when you get back, you're not yourself for a while. So I think it's too much to think that that they can put enough around him right now. And that's actually an impediment to signing free agents too, because big time free agents are going to say, well, I, I kind of want to see what Kristaps looks like and whether he's back to being who he is. He'd be great to play with if it's the version of him that I saw before the ACL went. But he's going to miss half the season, likely. And I think that puts a huge crimp in, in the Knicks. And, and, uh, and they've, actually, they've actually made the mistake of winning too many games, too, because right now yeah. of all the teams that tank, they're, they're ninth from bottom. So they tanked the worst. They can't even lose correctly. They've only got one more win as we record than the Nets, who were are looked at as the most hopeless team in the NBA for the last couple of years because of no picks and no players and no anything. I mean, it, it, that they are that close together is a really uh, damning statement about the Knicks. And I know Porzingis has something to do with it in the injury, but still. I'm going to go with the Lakers uh, just because there is that opening for them to be able to add in free agency. And we also saw you know tremendous growth in some of their young guys. Uh, Ingram played better. Kuzma going into his second season, I think will be better. I think Lonzo will be better. And then, you know, you don't know what they're going to do with Julius Randle yet, but if they keep him around, uh, he made a lot of progress and got really more of a chance this year. So I'm going to, you know, you look at the Lakers, you know, there are a dozen games under 500 as we record. Their point differential isn't bad. They've been in a lot of games and they've had some distractions that they've dealt with too. So I'm going to go with them, but, but a couple of sort of off the radar here a little bit in the West, and I know it's tougher to make the playoffs in the West, but we never would have expected Utah to be a potential four seed after losing Hayward. So it can be done. Two teams that I would look at. One is Memphis. Uh, and I, I know this sounds crazy because they don't really have their coach yet. And they've been a total disaster this year. But if Mike Conley's healthy, that just makes a huge difference for that team. And, and the bottom kind of fell out of that thing. And then they started to try to tank after he got hurt. So I, I think there's a possibility for them to get back in the picture somehow, I would go with the Lakers first and foremost. And I, I know that's Howard's uh, former team that he used to cover. And I, I think they're a little less hapless than the Knicks in terms of in terms of their <laughs> rebuild. Would you would you agree with that at least? No, no, I think the Lakers uh, are on a, on the right track. They're on a good track, a, a healthy track. I think the difficulty in picking them. Listen, you know, if they get the dream scenario and Paul George and LeBron both go there, or even one or the other, they're in great shape, obviously, to crash the playoffs next season. I'm not sure if I can make that that leap that they're definitely getting somebody of value of immediate impact. The difficulty in the West, of course, is just that, again, as we record, there's still a nine team race for eight spots. And the Clippers were just barely on the outside of that race and just got eliminated uh, within the last you know day or so. So there's just a lot of teams to try to leapfrog. And, and as you're looking out at the field, who's falling out of the playoffs next year? It's not the Rockets, Warriors or Blazers. It's probably not the Jazz. It could be the Pelicans. Yeah, who knows what they'll do with Cousins? And listen, I, I don't. Demarcus Cousins. I, I hate to say this, and I hate to be the one to bring it up, but we can't assume that he's ever going to be the same player after that Achilles. That's a that's a really really rough injury, especially at his size and at the point of his career. And so, who are they plugging in? Can the Pelicans replicate the season? Is Anthony Davis going to be able to carry them through 82? So that's a team that could fall out. You talked about the Spurs. Yeah, even if they trade Kawhi, they're going to get good players and pop some magician. The Thunder could fall out if their worst-case scenario comes about. Minnesota probably not falling out. So, I mean, there's some 
there may be some give in the field, but it also was like a nine team, t- uh, nine to ten team race for those eight spots, and so it's a lot to ask the Lakers or any of those teams to to make that big of a leap. Well, it's pretty clear it won't be Phoenix. I think we can all agree on that at this <laughs> stage. So it's not going to be the Suns. All right, Howard Beck, thank you again for joining us. Again, you can follow him at Howard Beck. Be sure to catch up with his podcast, The Full 48. You got another episode of that coming out this week? I do indeed. By the time uh, this podcast airs, um, my uh, my latest episode of The Full 48 should also be out, and that will be with Pacers GM Kevin Pritchard. Almost as good a guest as you are for us, but close, <laughs> but, but not quite. All right, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, also on Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, several other platforms. You can also download an app called Live Vote. It's free on Google Play or at the Apple Store for iTunes. Download that. We're going to be posting this podcast there as well on a YouTube feed, and you can vote on uh, several things that that we came up with today. As you can see, we didn't agree on really just about anything, so that'll turn out to be an interesting session there. Thank you for listening. Be sure to go through our library, and we will talk to you soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.